Well, in the middle of January 2018, I wonder where you were, an infamous challenge arose and circled around social media sites. Tide detergent pods, which you can see an illustration of here, which had been described as a mix between candy and a chicken nugget, began to be used in a way that they were not supposed to be used. They were ingested by kids in efforts to go viral. Lamentably, nearly 90 cases of poisoning were reported to the American Association of Poison Control Center. They responded with warnings, sending out PSAs that ingesting Tide Pods could lead to seizure, pulmonary edema, respiratory arrest, coma, and even death. In the aftermath of this viral challenge, there were reported 10 kids who lost their lives. This deadly challenge was the result of not using Tide Pods for their intended purpose, for that which it was made. To state the obvious, Tide Pods were made for laundry, not for food. And not everything used improperly is deadly, but sometimes there are things made for specific purposes that, if not used and substituted for other things, can just make life simply more challenging more difficult. If you try to cut a well-cooked steak with chopsticks, you're going to make your life very difficult. And conversely, if you try to scoop pad thai into your mouth using a steak knife, again, you're making your life very challenging, probably painful. This morning, we're looking at renewal through Sabbath. So what do Tide Pods and Pad Thai have to do with Sabbath? Well, in Mark 2, Jesus actually tells us what Sabbath was made for. What Sabbath was made for, the proper intention of Sabbath. As Jesus was walking through the grain fields with his disciples one Sabbath, they began to collect some of their grain for food. They began snacking on the Sabbath. The Pharisees confronted Jesus and his disciples, claiming that they had broken the Sabbath laws of not working on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus, surprisingly, appeals to a story in 1 Samuel 21 when David and his men had a necessity for food, and so they ate what was not made for them, requesting that the Pharisees use the same logic to condemn David as they did on his disciples. The Pharisees refused. They revered David, so they would not condemn him. Jesus teaches the principle that the Sabbath was made to be a blessing and a gift to humanity. He concludes his response to the Pharisees by saying this, if you look up at the screen in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now in the first century, Jews would have heard Jesus say this and probably would have focused on the second part of Jesus' teaching, they would have struggled with that part, that man was not made for the Sabbath. But we have all of these rules. We have hundreds of rules to make sure that we don't travel further than we should, to not use the same pans too many times in a day. Jesus, are, what are you talking about here? Sabbath had become burdensome with a ton of extra laws placed on the people by the Pharisees. Why? So that they didn't break the Sabbath. My theory, though, is that we here in the West don't struggle with the second part of that sentence of Jesus' teaching. We might even scoff at those who struggle with a little extra Sabbath laws, <laughs> those legalists. When we do this, we tend to forget what Jesus even said in the first part. 
We're now in an opposite cultural moment from Jesus' hearers. Most believers in America don't practice the Sabbath. And most don't even know the difference between the Sabbath and a day off. We've forgotten the Sabbath completely in our week. And when we don't use, similarly, when we don't use Tide Pods or any detergent at all, our clothes get stinky, worn, unusable. What we end up doing is functionally forgetting the tie, what Tide Pods were made for. And the same is with the Sabbath. When we neglect the Sabbath, we forget what Sabbath was made for. We must recapture the truth of the first part of what Jesus said, and that is this. The Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made for man. And this will be our big idea of the sermon this morning. Just as Tide Pods are made for laundry, the Sabbath was made for mankind, which means the Sabbath was made for you. Sabbath was made for you. In Genesis 2, 1 to 3, what Jake has already read for us, we saw that in the beginning of the created order, a pattern was ingrained into creation after the model of the creator. We read that on the seventh day of creation, God finished his work and rested, or the word there used is Sabbathed. He Sabbathed from all the work he had done. This model sets for humanity a guide for our week. It's been well documented throughout history. Our months, years, and even days can be intricately connected to different astronomical events. Okay, big words, astronomy this morning. For example, let me just give you an example. Um, we're going to go through a couple of our days, months, and years. See these astronomical events. Well, a day is linked to the Earth's rotation on its axis. This takes exactly 23 hours and 56 minutes to complete. Okay, so our day is associated with the astronomical event of the Earth's rotation on its axis. Months are determined by the lunar cycle or the amount of time elapsed between one new moon and the next new moon, taking 25 or 29 and a half days precisely. Our years are determined by the time it takes for Earth to complete one orbit around the sun. This orbit takes 365 days, six hours, and nine minutes. Yet, with all the astronomical study that's been done, not one astronomical event has been tied to a seven-day week. It's caused a conundrum. It's a, it's a weird part of a lunar cycle. It's like 23% of a lunar cycle. And still, historians are a baffle, because for thousands of years, seven-day weeks have been found to be used in the oldest records in India and China. From a more sociological perspective, when the seven-day week has been sought to be dissolved for a more efficient strategy, there has been nothing but disarray. In the French Revolution, to avoid association with Christianity and to increase productivity, they decided to change the calendar to include three weeks of 10 days. Okay, so three weeks of 10 days, that's a month, 30 days. It wasn't long, though, before depression set in at astronomical rates, suicide rates spiked, disease ran rampant, and animals fell dead from burnout. So where did this seven-day week come from? Well, the only explanation, as we read this morning, is the pattern found in our creation's creator. 
According to the Genesis account, we see God weaving this rhythm into the very fabric of his creation. So, when Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for you, what is the Sabbath supposed to look like? What's it supposed to include? You might be sitting here and thinking to yourself, Casey, I already do a fine job of keeping the Sabbath. I don't touch my computer or my email at all on Sundays, and I get a nap most Sunday afternoons. What else is there? Well, I'm glad you asked. Like Tide Pods have three compartments, and I promise this is the last time I'll bring up Tide Pods, but <laughs> it's too good. Like It has three compartments. The Sabbath has four components to allow us to experience the Sabbath biblically, to Sabbath it right, to Sabbath rightly, to have a renewed spirit each week. And the four components are this, pause, rest, savor, worship. Pause, rest, savor, worship. Let's dig into the first component this morning. The Sabbath was made for you to pause. The first and most obvious component of Sabbath in Scripture is pausing or, or stopping. The Hebrew word Shabbat could literally just be translated most, most literally to to cease, so to cut off. And this is what we see God doing on his seventh day of creation. He, he finishes his work, he completes it, and he ceases to do any more work on the seventh day. He presses pause. He put a bow on his work, ceased to create, and after escape, and, and then his people down the road, as they're about to leave Israel, as they're leaving Egypt, they're escaping the crushing slavery of the Egyptian people over them. The people of Israel had no context for what work was going to look like under this God who was leading them out of Egypt. And so they needed to know what it looked like to work under God's rule. So when giving the fourth commandment to Israel in Exodus 20, God was clear that it was in six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, or the seventh day, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So God gives to his people a day to pause their work. Now the thing about this weekly rhythm is that it's meant to image forth God to the world. We're called to create and to work and to bring order out of chaos in our work. We're designed to work and to work well. Yet without this gift of pausing, humans would never stop. We would continue to produce and achieve until we run ourselves into the ground like in the French Revolution. This six days of work, then one day of pausing, is a gift from our Creator. Look at the way that Alan Fadling describes the good purpose of Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath is God's antidote for our hurried, harried pace of life and gives us the unhurried, one in seven rhythm woven into the fabric of creation. That seventh day is a space for us to enter into a needed recovery and perhaps go through inevitable withdrawals. Withdrawals from the hurry, drivenness, and workaholism that plague so many of our lives, families, communities, and organizations. Look at how he concludes. On the Sabbath, hurry becomes a, a, a vice. 
Hurry becomes a vice, the exact opposite of our workaday world's way of making it a virtue. Through pausing, Sabbath is made to allow humans to have some space to work or, or some space from our work so that we don't pursue our deepest identity or satisfaction in our work. In that, Sabbath actually reminds us of our limits. And parents, let me just say a quick word to you. Model and instruct to your kids what it looks like to work six days and take a day off. Model and instruct for them that homework isn't allowed to be done on Sundays. Sundays is a day that we give to rest and to worship, to put off what we normally do each week and to take one day, 24 hours, and rest, to pause. I've heard a pastor put it this way, if your life is built around being a Christian as our core identity, is your life built that way? That your life is built around being a Christian or do you build your life as you want it, chasing the things you desire and see where there's space to fit your Christianity in the margins? In pausing, when I suggest pausing from three things in particular, worry, work, and wanting. Work, worry, and wanting. When pausing from these things, we can find rest. First, let me just dig into a couple of these. First, pause from all work, all paid and other work. Now, the work here I'm talking about is the work that you're responsible for five to six days out of the week to accomplish. This could be paid or unpaid work. So yes, if you're able, changing dirty diapers would fall under this. Husbands, if you're the primary worker out of the home, earning money for your family, change your kids' poopy diapers on the Sabbath, okay? So that your wife can take a break. In addition to that, what would be helpful is to stop thinking about our work altogether. To offer a suggestion, maybe just have a notepad handy, and if you think about your work, jot it down real quick and let it go. The stress that comes up is as though you're there in the office uh, as though it were any other day of the week. So write it down, put it away, so that you don't think about it. Don't work, don't think. Pause from work. Second, pause from worrying. Pause from worrying. Pause from your daily worries of, of works, of work and relationships. Seek throughout the day to be reminded of the confidence that you have in God's sovereignty. Practice your belief in God's good providence in your life. And remind yourself that he is working even while you're not. Third, pause from wanting. In this, practice being satisfied with what it is that God has given you. Give yourself the space to wrestle with discontentedness until you come to a place of restful contentment. This is just a fighting against that 10th that commandment of thou shalt not covet, right? You just want Things, and so you're giving yourself a day to say, I'm not going to wrestle with those things. I'll leave those for, I'm going to rest today. I'm going to just pause from those things. But I suggest maybe not, not shopping, not opening up your Amazon app or engaging in activity where you'll desire something, an item that you don't presently own. Now, there's a lot of nuances there that we could go into, and I hope that you'll, in prayer, work those out with the Spirit. 
But pausing from work, worry, and wanting will give you the space for resting. Now, please don't receive these even suggestions as as the way a first century Pharisee would have sought rules. The enemy, our sin, and our legalism wants to throw wants us to be throwing gutter balls, like we're bowling, wants us to be throwing balls in the gutter all day long. Every single Sabbath comes around, we just miss the mark. So you could think of these three ways like bumpers, like bowling bumpers for your Sabbath to help you more accurately hit the target of what Sabbath was made to do in you. One Christian theologian has said that intimacy with God cannot be rushed. So we must pause from what normally gets our RPMs in our soul racing. We see Jesus practice this in his own life. He escapes to spend slow, intimate time with God. After healing masses, he stops and retreats with his disciples to desolate places to spend intimacy with God on the Sabbath. You must, to spend intimacy with God on the Sabbath, you must pause your regular work, worries, and wanting. The Sabbath was made for you to pause but it was also made for you to rest. Number two, rest. The second component of Sabbath is rest. Here we'll spend more time on this point than the final two, savor and worship, but we really have to dig in here because the word Shabbat is translated in Genesis 2 as rested. Since the Sabbath was made for you, it was a day made for humans to rest, both body and soul. I wonder what you think of when you hear the word rest. Do you think of peacefulness or simply lack of activity? Do you think of restoration? Well, to find out what rest is, let's first look at how our Sabbaths are made to begin, and then we'll look at one of Jesus' own favorite activities that he did on the Sabbath. To find out how a 24-hour Sabbath day begins, we must also determine how each day is meant to begin. In the West, we measure days according to the calendar. So a new day technically begins at midnight, right? However, if you're, you know, at, 20, at 12.30 in the morning, you call it morning, though it doesn't really feel like morning, right? Commonly, though, we conceptually think of a day as being when the sun arises and we awake from sleep. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this, and I didn't, I didn't notice it before this week, but in Genesis 1, there's actually a pattern for each day that's repeated six times. In Genesis 1, in verse 5, and then throughout the rest of the chapter, this phrase is repeated, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Notice that? I always thought it said, and there was morning and evening, because that's how a day works for for me conceptually. But according to the pattern of days in Genesis 1, the created rhythm of a day actually begins in the evening. Okay, so what does all that mean? Well, the daily rhythm of of renewal actively invites us into practicing our trust in God differently. So no longer do we consider our day as getting ready for the day, sipping our coffee, eating breakfast, and then attending to our regular work. If our days actually begin in the evening, then our days begin with slowing down, settling down, drifting off to sleep. Our days begin by resting, maybe even drooling on the pillow and slipping off into a state of helplessness. 
And the message we're reminded of every day, as we go to sleep, God begins his work for the day. I'm not working, but he is. And he works while we sleep. So through, though, though the day begins in darkness, God is still at work. He's growing crops. He's healing wounds. He's giving rest. He's protecting. He's guarding. He's mending. He's redeeming. And sleep is one way that we just stop working. And God works while we don't. Sleep, however, is one way, not only that we don't work, it's one way that our bodies and souls rest. Before the artificial light of Edison's light bulb, an average night's sleep was around 10 to 12 hours a night for an adult. I mean, can you imagine? The CDC today recommends that teenagers get anywhere from 8 to 10 hours of sleep, while it recommends adults get that they need seven to eight hours of sleep. I wonder how much sleep you get on an average night. You know what? Oftentimes, I don't get that much sleep either. Now, I, I, I understand that there are a host of valid excuses. Some work third shift or in healthcare, and so your 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. keeps you up all night, and you've re- or, or maybe you've recently had a baby. But for the majority of us, our sleep patterns, especially leading into our Sabbaths, are causing us to fall below what our bodies need. Now, anyone can go out and spend money on an expensive mattress and get an Ambien prescription, but that's not what I'm suggesting for us to do this morning. Might I suggest that for the majority of us, we need to ask ourselves what our sleep is saying about us. What do you give up for sleep? Because what you give up for sleep reveals your loves. Your body needs a certain amount of sleep. And if you give up your sleep for other things, you're showing what you love. I mean, what we go to bed late working on or anxiously wake up shows what we love and value. Look at how Solomon in Psalm 127 expresses this. He says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. What is it that you eat the bread of anxious toil for rather than receive sleep from God's loving hand? I know for me, I'm likely to give up sleep both for work, but also for a football or basketball game, equally. I'm also likely to give up sleep to binge a Netflix or Hulu show. I'm even likely to give up sleep to watch Dude Perfect on YouTube. Those you could say are more negative examples, what Solomon would call in his verse, vain. However, there's a plethora of positive examples, and I'm and I'm very likely to, maybe along with you, give up sleep for the needs of my, my wife or my children. I'm willing to give up sleep to spend time with a fellow church member in the hospital. I'm willing to give up sleep to wake up a little early to spend time alone in God's word. Put in, but, but in my flesh, if push comes to shove, I'm far more likely to give up sleep for entertainment than I am for personal prayer. I wonder, looking back at your life over the last month, what are you willing to give up sleep for? Well, not only does sleep reveal our loves, it shapes our loves. It shapes our loves. If you stay up till 1 a.m. every morning playing video games, 
you're not helping your soul to love and value Jesus. You're being shaped by the thrill of an imaginary life. If you give up sleep to watch the news, you're implicitly shaping your heart to love constant critique and despair, the despair of the world around us. Does the news rile you up or does it shape in you a heart of compassion? Might I suggest turning the tube off and going to bed? My best friend once told me, Casey, sometimes going to sleep is the most spiritual thing that you can do. Why? Well, because sleep reveals our and shapes our loves and who we trust. Now, an evening of sleep is how our Sabbath rest begins, but rest is more than merely sleep. It includes our sleep, but sleep is primarily for the body. Rest for the soul, as Jesus calls it in Matthew 11, comes as God does his healing work in us. And I want us to consider one of Jesus's favorite activities that he participated in on the Sabbath. In Luke 6 and 13, and then in John 5 and, verse, and chapter 9, Jesus can be found healing people on the Sabbath. Oh, he loved doing it. He was all around and he was all about it. As people critiqued him, he said, really? That's the stance you're going to take? You don't want this person to be healed today because you don't, you don't think healing should be done on a Sabbath day? Oh, he healed so many. He healed a man with a withered hand, a, a crippled man, an invalid man, a man born blind. The Sabbath is made to bring healing to the soul. I think that's one of the reasons for Sabbath, is to bring healing. That's why Jesus did so many healings on the Sabbath, and that's why we should observe the Sabbath. My sweet daughter, just a few weeks ago, broke her wrist. It wasn't awful, but it was bad enough that they put a nice sparkly red cast on her arm. Now, what is the purpose of a cast? The purpose of a cast is for you to pause the use of your wrist so that the bone has the space to heal. So the bone has the time to heal. Sabbath was made for you so that you could receive healing physically and spiritually? Will you give yourself the space to rest and heal in both body and soul? You might be uh, tempted. I hope you're not just tempted. I hope you might actually attempt to practice a Sabbath this coming weekend. Oh, might I recommend you, to you, it probably will take a little bit of time. Let me encourage you because you'll probably go through a Sabbath day and you'll be like, that wasn't very restful at all. What's going on? I'm doing something wrong here. Rest takes practice. Just like an infant who has to learn when it's time to sleep and to stop fighting sleepiness, you do a nightly routine with the infant, you have a normal bedtime, you dim the light, you give them a bath, you read them a book, you rock them to sleep, you wrap them in their warm blanket. You... Give them a routine to help them know how and when it's time to sleep. This routine forms in them the ability to sleep. More likely than not, you form for yourselves habit, habits of restlessness, not rest over time. It will take some practice for you to figure out, for us to figure out, but over time, it will get easier. 
Can I suggest maybe talking to a family member? If there's something maybe you're thinking of or you're not sure what you're giving up sleep for, talk with a family member or a, a friend and help them identify in your life what it is that's keeping you from rest and then pray with that person about it. So the Sabbath was made for you to pause, to rest, and third, Sabbath was made for you to savor, to savor. If you've paused from work, worry, and wanting, and you found rest for your body and soul, then Sabbath savoring, as I'd like to call it, becomes a whole lot easier. If you keep up with the frenetic pace in life, you will rarely catch the beauty of seasons, of the birds, of the sky. Your mind will constantly be sprinting towards the the next thing. What's the next thing that's coming? However, God shows his people a better picture of life by observing the Sabbath in Exodus 31. Look at Exodus 31 as it's up on the screen with me. The Lord is telling them, after having already given the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, later he kind of explains it a little bit further. He says, therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between the people of Israel, uh, that, uh, between me and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested Oh, and catch this, he was refreshed. He rested and was refreshed. Take a moment to imagine with me what that was like for God. He was rested and refreshed. What do you think refreshment would have looked like for God? I like to think that as God finished his work, he just took a step back and he just took it all in. He savored his creation as he saw the beauty of the heavens and the earth, the sky and, and the sea and all that were in them, the land with its fruits and trees, the animals and the first two humans, he just took in his creation and delighted in it. He was refreshed. Which tells us that God did not need to take a break from creating because he was tired He didn't take a break because he was tired. He didn't need to recuperate any energy. No, no, no. He wanted to take it in. He wanted to delight in it. Even though he didn't need to recuperate, though, from his work, he knew that we, as his creation, would need to, we would be tired at the end of our work week. More importantly, he knew that we would need to be refreshed. What a kindness of the Lord that he gave to us, a whole 24-hour period for pausing, for resting or healing and savoring. What a gift it was that the same day every week, no matter what happened, we are able to savor the goodness of God by not working. What a gift. He gives us one day every week whether we just got a promotion at work, just received a bonus, just had a birthday, just got engaged, just got married, just found out that you're pregnant or that a beloved friend is pregnant, at the same time every week, Sabbath comes around for you to be able to savor the goodness of God that week. Well, the Sabbath comes around also at the end of bad weeks, of unfavorable weeks, maybe weeks in which you 
lost a loved one, experienced a severe break in a relationship, lost a job, got in a car accident, received an unfavorable diagnosis, or feel as a parent like you've been running on empty since Monday. The gift of Sabbath is every week, that every week, no matter what our week has held, good or bad, Sabbath comes after the conclusion of that week, giving us the space to heal and savor the goodness of Jesus. We're given the opportunity to experience the blessedness of unproductivity on that day. Now, Sabbath savoring might look different for different people. I recognize that. But I'd encourage you to Sabbath in a variety of ways. Here's a few of those ways that I'd encourage you to savor the goodness of Jesus on your Sabbath. One, look for contemplative time. Look for contemplative time. Look for 10 minutes maybe even an hour, to sit in silence and reflect. Maybe even journal down what it is that God has done that week. For next, look for a restorative activity. Here's where, here's where your work might actually determine what restorative activity looks like for you. If your regular work is sitting sedentary at a desk, your restorative activity will probably look like getting out for a walk or doing an activity outside. If your regular work is in a warehouse or a garage, you might actually experience restoration by sitting down with a good book. Maybe you just need to feed your soul with some fiction. If your regular work is raising and chasing kids around all day, you might simply need to just sit alone on the porch or at a coffee shop. So contemplative time, a restorative activity. Next, look for aesthetic beauty. Look for aesthetic beauty. When I see a bird on my way, as I go about my week, what I think to myself is that they're noisy, they're in the way, they make messes on my car that I don't appreciate. However, if I'm able to pause for my work, find rest enough to savor and delight in God's good gifts, then I'm able to Look at that same bird with somewhat of an amazement. Celebrate the beauty that God put into making this blue jay or this cardinal. The colors, the different varieties. You get what I'm saying? I I don't think that on the six days of my work, I'm able to give the space to recognize that kind of beauty. But given some space you start to be able to recognize it. So contemplative time, restorative activity, aesthetic beauty, and last, look to gather. Look to gather with others. Gather with people in whom you receive life-giving refreshment. There should be some both near and, and far away. Those far away, you might need to call more regularly or plan trips to, to, to meet them throughout the year to spend time with them. But Those near, look to gather with them regularly for encouragement and refreshment. Maybe you want to host a celebratory dinner with some good food, some curated beverages, and some good conversation. Savor those people and those relationships. Might I recommend, in your next contemplative time, to produce for yourself a life-giving list. A life-giving list. God has given us gifts to delight in and to savor, to be conduits of his own love for us. You might need to ask yourself this question that one pastor in Colorado asked. 
Who are the people? Who, where are the places and what are the activities that make you feel most human and most alive and connected to God? I encourage you to snap a quick picture of this, come back later this week and seek to answer that. The pastor describes these types of things or those things that make you feel like you're a kid in the kingdom, just, just frivolous and playful. What are those things? Those things that make you lose track of time, that help you relax. What are those things? A final comment on Sabbath savoring. It's, Sabbath savoring is like the salve, the salve that you put on a wound. It's more than pausing and giving space for healing. It's an active participant in bringing healing to your body and soul. That word salve is the root of where we get our word salvation. Both bring healing, salve and salvation, which is where all of the other components of Sabbath are meant to lead us, to savor our salvation by worshiping the Lord of the Sabbath, bringing us to our final component of Sabbath this morning. Sabbath was made for you to worship. Sabbath was made for you to worship. In talking about worship here, I hope that you're not struck with some extra activity that just takes the joy of life out of you. If you're a Christian here today, that should not be your approach. I hope that as you think of worship, both personally and corporately, both gathered and scattered, that you think of it as a way that God calls you to relax into his work on your behalf, to relax into his work on your behalf. Worship is never meant to be a work you do for God. It's like sleep in that way. Sleep is not an activity of your day. It's a break from activity. It's where you pause, crawl into bed, pull up the covers, curl up, and close your eyes, letting go of the day behind you and entering to the day ahead. In the same way, worship trains us to cease our strivings. It trains us to stop relying on our own efforts to build our own righteousness. It trains us to lean on God for his sufficiency by receiving his grace. As we sing songs like we sang this morning already, Oh, come all you unfaithful, we are reminded to come. Though you have nothing, come. He is the offering. Come, see what your God is has done. In Matthew 11 and 12, Jesus gives a beautiful, a stunning picture of this kind of restful worship. He says in chapter 11, 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. And then in Matthew 12, as Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he reminds them of the word, the word that the Lord spoke to his people through the prophet Hosea. He says this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What does that mean? A translation I'd offer to you this morning, my translation, is that God says to us, I desire for you to rest in my love 
not to do something to earn it. I desire you to rest in my love, not just bring something to try to get me to love you. That's what worship is. Worship invites us to rest, to relax into the arms of our loving Father. When you gather for corporate worship, it should be like drinking chamomile tea, where the RPMs of your soul just go way down. That's what worship is. Like an overtired child who collapses into the arms of her mother. This is the idea that the psalmist has in Psalm 46.10 where he says, be still and know that I am God. I love the way that the NASB translates it. It says, cease striving and know that I am God. This is why the pattern of pause, rest, savor, and worship is vital. Each are the link in the chain that lead us to delighting in the Lord of the Sabbath on the Sabbath. Remember the idea, uh, if you remember the idea of evening being the start to the day, what this does for all of us is it recalibrates the why of sleep. We don't sleep at the end of the day just to do something until the next day or just or simply because we're tired. Sleep is meant for us to practice our reliance on who God is. The psalmist puts it like this, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We lay down and drift into helplessness to start the day. But while we are unproductively sleeping, God is already working in us, around us, preparing what he has in store for us as the day moves on. When the sun arises and we wake, we don't start the work for the day. We join God in his work that he has already begun until the sun sets that day. And what a picture of the spiritual life this is. We enter into our vaporous lives in a state of helplessness, unable to even wake ourselves from sleeping, from our spiritual slumber. All the while, all the while, God is working, redeeming people for himself and knitting them together until, until, The sun arises on our hearts and we are awoken by the gospel of Jesus. And it's at that point that we don't begin the work of redemption. No, we join in the work that he's already doing until the sun sets of our life. We work alongside of him, building up his kingdom. And then we're welcomed as the sun sets on our life into the eternal rest of being with him forever. At this point, hope you're thinking to yourself, huh, this seems more uh, like you're not just talking about one day out of the week, but more of like a lifestyle thing. This is like an all of life thing. Is that what you're saying, Casey? And you'd be right. If you're here and you're not a Christian, stop going about life your way. Don't even seek to practice a pseudo-secular Sabbath. You'll come up deeply and empty at the end of your life. Jesus calls you to lay down your labors and your rebellion, repent of your sins, and believe that he is a better king for your life than you are. You can begin following him today. I'd invite you. And for the Christian, like evening starts our day on dependence on God, Sabbath 
starts your week relaxing into his love, worshiping him. Don't allow other loves to crowd out your soul's needs. Not only are the Sabbath and the corporate gathering of God's people in the local church gracious gifts of God, they are needs of your soul. It is a need of your soul to Sabbath and to gather with God's people. And because they are needs, God has commanded us to observe them. This is why the Sabbath is never rescinded as a command in the New Testament and why we in the New Testament should not neglect meeting together. Why would God command this? Is it for our harm or is it for our good? Let me encourage you to make a regular restful practice of joining with God's people in the local church to meet with God week in and week out. Give that in this Christmas holiday season as a gift to your soul that you will commit to be here week in and week out next year. In conclusion, at a time when Israel believed that the Sabbath was not very important, this was in the time of the prophets, the Lord sent a prophet Isaiah to graciously confront them by the prophet Isaiah. Consider these words as we, as we conclude this morning. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 says this, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride high, or on the heights of the earth, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Oh, Parkside, let's be a people who call this rhythm of renewal a delight. May our children grow up with the belief that the Sabbath is an awesome gift from God. And let's show the world what rest, what rest in the mighty arms of our creator and savior looks like. Let's pray. Father, we relax into your arms right now. May our observing of a day that you made holy, a day that you gave as a gracious gift, may we not take advantage of the day, but just follow what you've instructed for us to do. May we not turn our feet back from the Sabbath, doing our pleasure, what we think is better to do than pausing, resting, savoring, and worshiping. May we follow what you have given us in your word to follow so that we might be a people who rest wholly in your sufficient grace. I ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you're here this morning, 